And I think our goal should be to kind of determine what our giant is this week. And uh, we're going to figure out together over the course of our six classes how we can beat it. That's all we're going to try to do this week is uh, determine one giant, the biggest, the baddest, as you guys were assigned last night, and uh, spend our week together figuring out how we are going to take this giant down. So let's just go over what our week is uh, going to look like. Um, all we really want to go over together is we're going to look at a few stories of the giants in scripture, and we're going to use these stories to pull out some details we've probably never seen before, and then really try to make these stories come to life. And once we have a better understanding of the story, why it's included in scripture, uh, we're going to go into actually how it applies to us. So we're going to look at literal battle plans and literal giants. Uh, we don't need these literal battle plans. We do have these literal giants that we need to take a, um, a hold of. So Monday, today's um, topic is once upon a time, there were giants. It's your lightest class of the week, folks. All right? Not a ton to go into tonight, but buckle up starting tomorrow. Monday's a uh, break day. Tomorrow, we're going to be going over the grasshoppers and the three giants. Wednesday, we're going to be taking a look at the failure of the feeble giants. On Thursday, the adventures of Caleb the giant slayer. On Friday, could have guessed it, the giant and the boy. Saturday, the tribe of giant fighters. And then finally, we will wrap up our week together on Sunday memorial service under the topic of in the Hebrew tongue. Now, Monday, we're going to be going over the introduction today. Tuesday, we're going to look at the Nephilim. Wednesday, the Rephaim. Thursday, Caleb. Friday, the story, of course, of Goliath. Saturday, you know, why is there a common thread in where giant fighters come from? And then, of course, on exhortation, we're going to take a look at the purpose of Christ's final struggle with giants. But as I mentioned, we need to dig into more than just the stories. We're here at a Bible school, as has been mentioned, I think every class so far, to spend a week figuring out how we can get better, how we can improve ourselves. So the principles we're going to be going over in each class vary a little bit. But today is all about getting to know your giant. Sound good? Good. Tuesday and Wednesday, we're going to be taking a look at uh, kind of a combined series on the Rephaim. And we're going to be taking a look at how we can remove any doubt that you can actually beat your giant. It's good news. You can beat your giant. On Thursday, looking at Caleb, we're going to find out where exactly your giant lives. It's an important question because in order to actually beat them, you have to figure out where they're from. And then finally on Friday, we'll take a look at David and Goliath, and we're going to learn how to both attack and defend when fighting giants. And then we'll wrap it up on Saturday looking at the tribe of giant fighters, and we're going to discover how we can pass on the tools to fight giants to the next generation. And this is one of the most important topics that we can study. As families, together working in ecclesias and families of our own, fighting giants for our own is great, but you need to teach your family how to fight giants. Because if our children are raised not knowing how to fight them, then the giants will take over their lives as well. 
So by the end of the week, here's what we'll look at having learned. We'll get to know them. You're going to be confident in beating them. You're going to know where they live, know where they exist. You're going to learn how to attack and defend them. And then finally, you're going to take all of this and pass it on to the next generation. And I'm going to ask, I asked for a few volunteers. Um, if I can have those volunteers step forward now, there's a, a few pamphlets up here at the front. Um, I'm going to pass out to everybody one of these quick guides. Um, so here you go. And then also note cards if you could. And if anybody needs pencils, I have provided pencils. Incredible day on Amazon Prime. Incredible deal. <laughs> right? So I can scoop them up. Okay, so what you guys are getting passed out right now is uh, your quick guide. Now, this is going to be what you'll be referring to for this week. The Tales of the Giants, a quick guide on how to defeat, put your name in the empty spot there, their giant. And if your name ends in S, I apologize, you can ignore the apostrophe S. But you're going to learn and you're going to use this on how to defeat your giant. What you're also going to need, not today, but you're going to need it for the last couple of days of our Bible school is the note card. You're going to need both sides. So don't like write on one side and, you know, just take notes or pass notes to your buddies or something. Um, and then you're also going to need something to write with. So once you have those three things, you guys can go ahead and write your name on the front of your quick guide. And of course, feel free to uh, peruse throughout the brochure. Just please don't write any answers down in them yet. Okay, as we kind of progress through the week, we'll fill out our answers. But the goal, of course, is by the end of the week, you guys are going to know what your giant is. You're going to know its weaknesses. You're going to know how to attack. You're going to know what weapons to use. You're going to know where to fight it. And then, brothers and sisters, we're going to work our absolute hardest when we get home to beat just one giant. Hope you guys are with me. With that, let's go ahead and flip to our very first topic together. Once upon a time, there were giants. And brothers and sisters, when the children of Israel got to the edge of the promised land, there was really one thing that stood in the way of them entering the land. It was a fear of a few giants. Fear of giants was what caused 40 years of wandering, an entire generation to perish in the wilderness, and giants are all over from the stories in Genesis 6 until their defeat in Joshua, but they reemerge once more, only to be defeated again by a shepherd, David. So the purpose for today, brothers, sisters, young people, let's get to know our giant. Let's figure out more about our giants. So all we should be filling out right now is just the front, your name. If you need any help with that, you can ask your neighbor. You guys all did give homework last night. I hope we've done it. You don't need to fill it out yet. We're going to be going over your homework and grading it in a second. But first, if you guys could, turn with me to Numbers chapter 1. We're going to go ahead and get started in the book of Numbers. Hopefully, we've all picked the giant we want. If you haven't, you have about 15, 20 minutes before we get to that part of the class. So Numbers chapter 1, let's look at verse 1 together. And Yahweh spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of the congregation on the first day, second month, 
in the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt. So let's just get our bearing with where we are at in the children of Israel's history. We are one year and two weeks since leaving Egypt. We are at the beginning of our second year. So we have been wandering for one year. We come about 11 months after we've arrived at Sinai. So it's just under a year since we have arrived at Mount Sinai to get the law, to get the commandments, to really figure out what God wants to do with us as a nation. And we are on a very spiritual high because we are basically one month after the tabernacle is completed. Worship service has begun. We have begun to um, do all of these kind of things under the commands uh, from God. What kind of spiritual high would you be on, brothers and sisters, one month after the tabernacle is finished? Well, what's Numbers all about? Well, Numbers, shockingly enough, is about numbering the children of Israel. We are taking a census at the beginning and at the end. Now, in the first 10 chapters, in Numbers 1 through Numbers 10, verse 10, is this time of preparation. Moses is taken to the people, and he is going to prepare them for this new wonderful land, the promised land. Israel is at Sinai, and they're camped before God. And they are referred to, as we'll look at it in a second, as this ecclesia in the wilderness. Now, come with me, if you could, to number chapter 10. We're going to go to their first move. You guys probably are aware of how God would signal to his people when it was time to go. A cloud or a fire pillar would arise, and they would move, and the children of Israel would follow after them. So Numbers 10, verse 11, it says, And it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year, 20 days after chapter 1, that the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle of the testimony. And the children of Israel took their journey out of the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. So they enter into this area of Paran. Now they are now formed. They have the law, they have a God, and they're journeying towards their land. And they are now this ecclesia in the wilderness. How do we know that? Well, if you haven't written it down next to that reference there in Numbers, it's worth just jotting it down in Acts chapter 7. And after you've written it down, you could join me there in Acts 7 and at verse 38. It's very clear language we're given. Acts 7 verse 38 says, starting at verse 37, this is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the ecclesia in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. And so there it is clear as day that this was indeed an ecclesia in the wilderness. Brothers and sisters, this is us, isn't it? You could say we live in a wilderness. We're just wandering until we get to that promised land promised to us. So this was a group of people called out by an invitation. They were called out of sin, and they were given hope of an inheritance in the land promised to Abraham. Prove it? Gladly. They were called by an invitation. Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8. You don't have to turn these up. I'll be happy to read them for you. Exodus 6, verse 6 says, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am Yahweh. And I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Verse 8, and I will bring you into the land, 
concerning the which I did swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for an heritage. And he signs it, I am Yahweh. So this was the invitation that God extended to his people. Now, he calls them out of sin. And a good reference to jot there is Hebrews 11, where when God references to this, this sinful land of Egypt, they were given a hope. Again, Exodus chapter 3, verse 8, this hope which they were given of a land free from the burdens, instead a land promised to them by God. And this inheritance, well, we all know where that's from. That's Genesis 17. That was the promises to Abraham when he was called out of his land into a new land. So this is sound familiar, brothers and sisters, because the type is super powerful. Because you see, we have been called out by an invitation. Ephesians 4 verse 4 says, the ecclesial body has been called and invited to the hope of the kingdom in Christ. That's us. It's, it's, it's simple. Romans 6 says we've been called from sin. Would you agree? Absolutely. We would all agree. We have been called out of sin. That's why we're here this week. Because we hate the things that our, that our flesh wants us to do. And we love the things that God wants us to do. But sometimes the giants are pretty big. Romans 8 tells us that we have been given a hope. And I want to read this one because I think this, these verses are powerful. I'll read it for you. Romans 8, verse 24. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. That's our hope, brothers and sisters, isn't it? Each and every one of us. I mean, you could look around this room and we all have that same hope. We've all been called by invitation. We've all been called out of sin. And we're all given the single unique hope. And of course, you have to go to Galatians 3 to reference the inclusion of us as baptized into this promise to Abraham by God's grace. The inheritance that we all strive for. An inheritance with the righteous seed of Abraham. And so this is a summary, a fantastic summary, of believers. This is us, isn't it, brothers and sisters? This is a simple conclusion of this ecclesia in the wilderness that we strive to be a part of. But more than that, brothers and sisters, just like the children of Israel should have been, this is the call of giant slayers. If you want to fight giants, brothers and sisters, this is what you get. If you can successfully beat the giants, the ecclesia in the wilderness should have been giant slayers. Now, unfortunately, we know the story. There was one generation who wasn't. They took one look and they said, mm -mm, that's not for us. They're too big. So, brothers and sisters, is that us? Are our giants too big to fight? Now, a lot happens between Numbers chapter 10 and their arrival at Paran. They start in Mount Sinai, and they complain of hardships in Numbers chapter 11. And fire goes out from Yahweh and consumes the people. Moses is very discouraged. And there are 70 elders who are appointed to assist Moses in his leadership. Well, then the people are very discontent with the manna. We've had enough of this bread stuff. 
give us some meat. God sends meat. And scripture says, while it was between, the flesh was between their teeth, a plague went throughout their, uh, the people. Numbers chapter 12, Ariam, uh, Miriam and um, Aaron opposed their brother's leadership, led mostly by Miriam. They bring his authority into total question. They say, well, who are you? Why did you elect yourself as leader? What about us? They say. And it's here that we learn that Moses was an incredibly humble individual. God intervenes. Moses, sorry, Miriam ends up being struck with leprosy. And uh, upon Moses' request, she's healed. Imagine that for a second. Your sister comes up to you and says, who are you in front of the nation? Who are you to lead us? She's struck with leprosy. You know, if it was me, I'd enjoy it for a couple days. Like, you, you kind of deserve that. But, but Moses, the most humble person ever, says, God, can you heal her? And so she's healed, but she is sent out of the camp, and she delays the entire ecclesia in the wilderness, and they're wandering towards the promised land for seven days. And then we get to the edge of the promised land, and Moses handpicks 12 spies to explore the land of Canaan. Now, after all these issues and during all these issues, many, many people perish, right? God teaches them important lessons in this time, but in the end, God still wanted to bring his ecclesia in the wilderness into the promised land. Think about that. God says, man, this nation is just, they rebel against everything, but I love them so much, I want to bring them to that land still. By the way, that's the same God that you worship. That's the same God that we all worship, who wants us to get into the kingdom. He sees your giants. And he says, I'll help you with them. You just got to, you just got to take that first step. And so he wanted to bring this ecclesia in the wilderness into the promised land. Now, if you would come with me to Deuteronomy chapter one, we're going to get a little more context here before we enter into the promised land, because this is a fascinating little wrinkle in the story. Deuteronomy chapter one, let's start at verse 19. It says, and when we departed from Horeb, Deuteronomy is all about recounting these stories. We went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which ye saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as Yahweh our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. And so we see that Moses has led the people to the city called Kadesh Barnea. And I said unto you, ye are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which Yahweh our God doth give us, he says. Behold, Yahweh thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it. As Yahweh, God of thy fathers, hath said unto thee, fear not, neither be discouraged. It was here at the edge of the wilderness, the edge of the promised land, that Moses shows that the first conquest is the mountain of the Amorites. But the people's doubt also starts here, doesn't it? Now, what if I told you something similar in your life? The kingdom is three days away. How many of you would say, whoa, whoa I'm not quite ready. Three months? Can you give me three months? I got a lot of stuff to get in order. I could probably beat those giants if I need to in three months. It's a lot to give up, though, in three days. And at this point in time, remember, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam are as good as in the promised land. They're in. We know the end of the story. It's unfortunate for them. They do not enter. But they think they're going to. And see, from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 through 22, we learn that it was never, ever God's intention to have the people spy the land out first. That was not God's plan. Could you imagine if that was God's plan? 
Okay, children of Israel, I'm going to take it to the land. Then, I'm not sure what's in there, but you got to send 12 people to just check out the land just to make sure that it's ready for you guys to spy, to attack. Imagine if that's how the God we worship worked. I'm not sure what's behind that barrier, so go check it out. Our God knows everything. And he wanted them to just march in. He had given them their first victory was going to be the mountain of the Amorites. That's your first one, Israel. And then we're just going to go on from there. And the children of Israel get there and they say, eh, wait a second, like, shouldn't we, shouldn't we send people out first? Look at verse 22. And ye came near unto me, every one of you. And they said, oh, wait a second. We'll send men before us. And they're going to search out the land and bring us word again by which way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. And they stalled. Brothers and sisters, I stall all the time. Yeah, I'm going to do that later. That sounds like a lot of work right now for the Ecclesia. I'll just put it off for a little bit. But brothers and sisters, the people's request to send spies into the land and God allowed them to. Reminds me of King Saul. Can't we have a king? Sure. I'll give you a king. You see, Yahweh will often let us discover our own mistakes, won't he? And then we go, God, why'd you lead me through that? He has a simple path laid out before us, but oftentimes, brothers and sisters, we know a lot better, don't we? God says, this is the path I want you to take. And we say, no, that's not the path you want me to take. We take a different one and we go, that didn't work out very well. And so before turning to Numbers 13, it's important to recognize that Deuteronomy gives us a little bit of an extra information. It was the people who begged for them to send out spies in front. So Numbers 13, verses 1 and 2. Flip back to Numbers 13. It says, And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Do it. Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And so what Moses does is, the NASB says, Send out for yourself men. He does it. And he chooses one from every single tribe. Now, these people were hand-selected by Moses. God gives him the ability to choose his spies. Do you think Moses chose the people kind of on edge as far as, like, faith goes? No way. No way. Moses would have chosen the people he thought would be the most faithful, the most excited to enter into the land. Men who appear to be upright, men of faith, may often be the first ones to crack under the worldly pressure. And in this case, brothers and sisters, 10 clearly influential people were responsible for the wandering and death of an entire generation of the nation. So we come to verse 19. It says, reading 17 for context, and Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain. Remember, that was the first place they wanted to go and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is, 
that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what the cities they be that dwell uh, in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, and whether there be wood therein or not, and be of good courage, bring of the fruit of the land. Now, the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. And so Moses says, I want you to figure out a few things. He says about the people, check them out. Are they strong or are they weak? Are they few or are they many? The cities, he says, are they tents or are they strongholds? And finally, the land. I need you to determine if the land is fat or lean. I need you to figure out if it's full of forests. If it's, is it wooded or is it not wooded? Oh, and by the way, bring back some fruit. So this is the request he makes unto the children of Israel, these 12 spies. Now, they bring back their report. Verse, 29, verse 26. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron. And unfortunately, they came to all the congregation of the children of Israel. And to the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh. And they brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. You see the fruit we found? It's amazing. And they told them, and he said, we came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit we found there. Nevertheless, the people be strong. And the cities are walled and very great. Oh, and we saw the children of Anak there. And this was the worst news of all. The land was beautiful. It did indeed flow with milk and honey. The cities were walled and very great. Not earth shattering. A lot of cities were walled and very great. But the people, they were strong. And the children of Anak were there. And brothers and sisters, the congregation heard this and said, no, thank you. And they, verse 32, and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. And there, by the way, we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Stature, we'll take a look at this in a second. It just means size, the measurement. The giants, as we'll see in classes tomorrow and the next day, means to fall or to lie. It's curious, isn't it? Now, for the sake of our study, we are going to assume that these giants were actually abnormally large people. Now, while they are certainly mighty in other things, maybe fighting, immorality, idolatry, they were giants in many, many aspects. We're going to spend our week viewing them as if they were huge people. We, didn't, we do know huge people did exist, Og, Goliath, among others. Now, were they tall? I'd like to just throw some verses out at you to just chew on. So as we read in Numbers chapter 13, the people of the land saw these children of Anak, that they were men of great stature. Deuteronomy 2, we didn't read this verse yet, 
But in Deuteronomy 2, it says the Emims dwelt therein in times past. They were a people great and many and tall like the Anakim. And Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse, it says, Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And so, brothers and sisters, we see that these people maybe were actually quite tall. They were men of great stature. The Anakim, therefore, were great in size, if you take what it literally means. Deuteronomy 1 and 2, the Rephaim are compared to the Anakim. And I apologize that you're not in a logic class here, but the Rephaim and the Anakim are large individuals and they're compared to each other. So we're going to therefore move with the assumption that giants were giants. Now, here's where we get into the tough part. We're gonna take a little deep dive inside our own giants. You see, giants, ironically, are born tiny, aren't they? It's rarely that we'll take a temptation and it'll hit us hardest the first time. It always gets harder as it grows. So they're born tiny, but they can grow huge, can't they, brothers and sisters? So the time to really attack a giant is when they're tiny. But if you're anything like me, we didn't write down the tiny giant. We wrote down the big one, the huge one. So we're going to spend our week looking at how we can get rid of the biggest, the baddest, the scariest, the tallest, the massivest giant first. If we could take that one down, we could be like Caleb and take down any giant we want. So brothers and sisters, let's get to know them a little bit better because the goal has to be to fight off the giants in our own lives. The goal, of course, is to fight them off when they're small. But if our giants are huge, we can still defeat them. It just takes a little bit more work. It says in Colossians, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Kill it, Paul says to the Colossians. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Brothers and sisters, Paul doesn't write the most obscure giants he can think of. Sexual immorality might be your giant. It's not unique. Impurity might be your giant. Passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, these could be very well your giants. James tells us, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. What if the children of Israel had used that phrase, and they went into the land. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So, brothers and sisters, let's get to know our giants. They can last forever unless they're defeated. It's pretty simple. Giants will not kill themselves. They can affect your life, your kids' lives, your family's lives. They can even spread to your ecclesia's lives. Unless you can defeat them. So as we wrap up with a few more minutes, our first class on giants, it's important to set the stage for the remaining week. And we need to focus on how this study applies to us. How do these giants relate not only to us and our ecclesias, 
but to the people we come into contact with. When we look at the children of Israel, we think, well, how could 10 spies not think God could take that land? How did 10 people make an entire nation doubt in God? Giants. They're big. They're scary. But we do the same thing in our own lives, don't we, brothers and sisters? One person could do that to us. We see giants, and we could run the other way. I'll, I'm going to deal with that one later. That's big. So the first step is getting to know them. What are they like? The first question in your brochure says, what kind of giant is the most threatening to your life in the truth? What kind of giant do you have? Please, brothers and sisters, don't be too specific. These could get lost. And we don't want, I'm going to use the name Carl. We don't want Carl picking up your flyer and going, oh, interesting. <laughs> Poor Carl. So what kind of giant do you have? And I'm going to put up a list of some more specifics. So if you could, use a code name, scramble the letters, write really, really small, cross it out, whatever you need to do. The hardest step is just to admit what your giant is. Again, come up with some sort of way that makes it so you're comfortable writing on there. It could be your giant you're going to name Pineapple. And you think to yourself, and Carl picks up and says, Pineapple? This is a weird dude. But they know what pineapple actually means. So don't get too granular with it. Your name's on the front. The kind of giant you have is in the first section here. Now, admitting you have a giant, determining what it is, is the first, hardest, and most important all in one. But you got to do it. And if you do it, the good news is, is the hard part's done. The rest of the week's going to be easy. Now, the one thing you do not want to do is accidentally look at your neighbor and be disappointed if they put something that you didn't think they were going to put. We're completely missing the point if that's what we do. Oh, come on, Carl, really? Career? Career, what, you and seven hours and 59 minutes a day, Carl? Really? Try selfishness, Carl, please. <laughs> but Carl may be writing career because at work there's a fairly attractive woman, Stephanie in accounting. And she's been flirting with Carl. And so we pick it up and go, Dude, I know what you work like. Your work's like, Carl. You, heart, you haven't gotten a raise or promotion in six years, career. But he knows that his struggle is with his career. Now, maybe yours actually is career. Maybe uh, instead of putting off, instead of doing the readings or ecclesial functions, you tend to work a little bit more. Maybe you work during classes, you know, answer some emails, the class is kind of boring, you know, text employees back, things like that. You know, I, I know you would never do this, but maybe there's a chance that we'd be tempted to. So this is our giant. Don't get too specific on this piece of paper. Keep it honest, but keep it vague. And of course, it doesn't have to be anything on this list behind me. That could be whatever you want. For example, let's say that you, your giant has something to do with drugs. Put something like addiction. Maybe that's too specific. There are hundreds of addictions. Obsession. Pineapple. 
Whatever it is you guys want to do, just put it up there. If your giant is a constant need for attention on social media, so much so that you actually curate your day based on like what you think is going to get the most attention from people, maybe pride, time-wasting, idolatry, anything like that. Pride could be many things. But you deep down know that your giant is a little bit more specific than that. If it feels painful to write it down, then you're taking the step of the two spies. The second question here, seven minutes. Where does your giant live? You remember what Moses asked them. He says, what are, your, what are the towns like? Do they dwell in tents or do they dwell in strongholds? He says. So where does your giant live? Is it in your workplace when newly divorced Stephanie in accounting arrives? Is it on an app on your phone where you spend hours exercising your thumb? Is it on social media where you can read and you can write all that juicy gossip you want all day long? Is it on a website online where any addiction can be satisfied? Lust, possessions, covetousness. Is it at the ecclesial hall when you have to work together with Brother Carl on the same committee? Is that at home in a bottle rolled up in paper? Try to determine where this giant lives. Again, you don't need to get super specific. Keep it somewhat vague, but clear enough that you'll understand. But at home, on my phone, at the Ecclesia. Now try to determine, brothers and sisters, what this place qualifies as. Is it a tent or is it a stronghold? You see, a stronghold is much tougher. A stronghold is a little more permanent. If your giant lives at work, if your giant lives at the Ecclesial Hall, probably a stronghold. You can't go and blow up your work. You can't just move Ecclesiastes every time a problem comes up. You have to figure out how to beat your giant on his home turf. He has home field advantage in these places. It'll be a tougher battle. But maybe your giant lives in a tent, like an app or a website. Delete the app. Throw your phone in the river. A little bit easier to take control of giants that live in tents. They're not as permanent, but it's a little tougher to beat those ones because they're a little more private. They're tougher to see. People don't notice them as often. They're a little bit more disguised. It won't be easy to beat a giant anywhere. But if we can maybe understand them a little bit better, then this quick guide might be a little bit of a help to you. We have four minutes, and I've saved the best part for last. I want you guys to name your giant. Now, this sounds really silly. It sounded silly when I told the teens this. It sounds even sillier telling grown people. But I want you guys to name your giant. It helps, trust me, it helps. The sillier the name, the better is the little tip I put. Maybe name it Tiny. Maybe name it Mini. My favorite, you can name it Mike Rowe. Or D. Wharf. Or my second favorite, you can call it Carl if you want. <laughs> I'd like you to give your giant a persona. The 
The problem with the Israelites is they were scared of something they weren't familiar with. They'd never done this before. And we get food rained down from heaven. It flies into camp. Water comes out of rocks. What do you mean all this work we got to do now? It was, it was an unfamiliar territory. So I'd like to wrap up today and give a human trait to your giant. I know it sounds really silly, but that's kind of the point. Because when you can think of your giant as just some silly little thing in your life, it's not as scary anymore. Now, the sillier the sounding name, the better. I think you should probably steer away from scary sounding names. Um, if your giant is something menacing like Captain Dark Overlord or Thunder Slayer or something like that, it's going to be a little scarier when you have to go home and battle it. Like, all right, Thunder Slayer, I'm coming for you. Try to steer clear of those. Just try Carl. Um, now, I just want to quickly do a quick shout out if there are any Carls here. I've never met a Carl I didn't like. All Carls are just amazing. I don't know why that name is just kind of like always been like the teasing name, but they're always awesome in my experience. Uh, you just need a name that you can use. All right. And because, again, it's a Bible school, uh, you have homework at the bottom. You won't forget it because it's in your brochure. It's due tomorrow. I need you to find a verse that helps in the identification of your giant. We need to go do some research today sometime. What's actually standing between you and the kingdom? And how do you know it's a giant? Does scripture prove it? There's many verses that list all kinds of temptations and sins. And there's some more obscure and there's some more obvious. If your giant is something like, I'm really scared of spiders. Or you know, I take one more Advil than the bottle says. Those are probably not giants. You're not going to find them in scripture. These things have to be something you could point to a verse and say, okay, I struggle with this. You know, I see this as a problem. You know, I could figure out what I need to work on. Uh, and so, brothers and sisters, by the time you've wrapped up page one, I hope dearly that we understand a little bit more about our giant. We don't see it quite as big, quite as scary, quite as daunting, but instead we see it as something beatable. Tomorrow we'll be taking a look at the grasshoppers and the three giants. We're going to be focusing on the Nephilim. And tomorrow we're really going to start to try and figure out how you can make yourself believe you can actually beat it. Because today we know who it is, but it might still seem scary. And we're going to take a look tomorrow and the next day at God's ability to convince the people that they could beat any giant that stood in their way. So, brothers and sisters, I'll wrap it up with, I'm still very, very excited about this week we have in forward uh, in front of us. Only one class in. Congratulations, you made it to the easiest one. It's all downhill from here. All right, thank you guys very much.